cool. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Joshua chapter 1. And just to let you know, we're going to um, compile up some you know, information regarding that book, and we'll give you some good critiques of it, just in case anyone ever recommends it to you or you run across somebody who's reading it, you can hand them a, a little handout on that. But today I'm so excited to study the book of Joshua with you. Uh, we finished the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. Some call it the Torah. And now we enter into the historical books, which will carry us all the way over to the book of Esther. After Esther, we have the poetical books. And then after the poetical books, the Song of Solomon, uh, we enter into the prophetical books. And so we've got a ways to go. But it's a blessing to study the history of Israel at this point, and especially the book of Joshua. Because really what we've seen so far is uh, the people coming out of Egypt, and that's cool. You know, getting saved is definitely the, the, the most important thing in our life. But now entering into the promised land is what we'll study now. You know, in looking at the book of Joshua, just a couple of things real quick. Um, believe it or not, some people wonder whether or not he wrote the book. Um, but according to tradition, and specifically the Talmud, which is a collection of ancient writings by rabbis on Jewish law and tradition, Joshua is the author of the book, um, with the exception, of course, of when he died. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of conservative teachers believe that portions such as the death of Joshua and a few minor details in the book were completed by the high priest Eliezer and his son Phinehas. Uh, we know uh, that the text itself, they call it internal evidence, tells us that Joshua wrote the book. Uh, over in Joshua chapter 5, uh, verse 1, I don't have that slide, it says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted. And so whoever wrote the book was there until we had crossed over. We see the same thing over in Joshua chapter 5, verse 6. And so whoever wrote the book of Joshua was an eyewitness. They were our participant in the book and in the things that took place therein. And then over in Joshua chapter 24, here it is in verse 26, it says, And then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And so I know the slide says 24-6. I think it's 24-26, uh, one of those two. But the book specifically tells us that Joshua wrote these words. You know, we know that Rahab was still alive at the time of the writing of Joshua. And so again, that adds further credence to the fact that Joshua wrote the book. In Joshua 6.25, it says, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day. And the only reason I say that to you guys is because, listen, I, and I've learned this too. You know, some of you here, um, you're going to be challenged. Like Joshua didn't write it. Liberalism, you know, creeps in. Sometimes to the young people, sometimes they go to the colleges and they try to undermine all the things you've learned. You know, and I've discovered that a lot of times when kids go off to college, that their professors, I, 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 man, they just really they mess with their faith. And so it's good to have a few arguments as far as, well, no, Joshua wrote the book, you know. And you have that conservative backing in your belt, that whoever wrote the book of Joshua was an eyewitness, that they were a participant, 
And it was written at a fairly early time because, again, Rahab was still alive when they wrote the book. Now, a couple of interesting things about Joshua. As we begin the book, um, according to Henry Morris, Joshua was 90 years old. And so um, when I think of that, I think, wow, you know, that's pretty old. Some of you guys here are thinking, you know, my life's over, you know, I'm 50 or 60 or whatever, man. And, uh, And we know that that's the furthest thing from the truth. Now, as far as when it was written, and we're going to get into the text, and we'll make it a little simpler in just a second, but some people wonder, when was the book of Joshua written? Now, let me just see if you guys can follow me on this, okay? Now, according to 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, the Israelites left Egypt 480 years before the fourth year of Solomon. Okay, that's what it says right there. And it came to pass in the 400 and 80th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv. And he goes on to share a few details right there. And so we know that the Israelites left Egypt, it says, 480 years before the fourth year of Solomon. So that would be, we know that date was 966 B.C., And so you add these figures and it gives us an exodus date when they came out of Egypt of 1446 B.C. Now, the beginning of the conquest was 40 years later. Remember, they were in the wilderness for a total of 40 years. So that brings us now to the year 1406 B.C. Now, we know that the actual conquest of Canaan lasted seven years. So we're going to see that in Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. It says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Caleb is speaking. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. And so Caleb stated that he was 40 years old when he went to spy out the land. The wilderness wanderings we know lasted 38 years, thus bringing Caleb's age to 78 at the beginning of the conquest. And then Caleb then said he was 85 at the end of the conquest. And so, you know, doing the math, we're able to figure out when they actually went in, how long they were conquering the land. And so it's just in case you're interested, you know, like you're like, well, when did all this happen? You just put a couple of scriptures together and you're able to come up with the date. Now, what about the purpose of the book of Joshua? Well, it's to give us really an official account of the historical fulfillment of the Lord's promise to the patriarchs to give Israel the land of Canaan. Remember, God had promised to give them this land. And so what we see in Joshua is just a historical document telling us that God's word is true. And that's very important for us to establish. Because if God made promises to Israel that he didn't keep, then how do we know he's going to keep his promises to us? But when we see that he keeps his promises and he's faithful to his word, and we see that he's impeccable, right, in his promises, then you and I know that he will do the same for us. That's why Paul writes Romans 9, 10, and 11. And he says that God is not, you know, slack. God's not slack in his promises at all. His promises for Israel have been fulfilled, some in the church, but still he's going to fulfill all his promises. And what he wants us to come away with is an understanding of 
that all these things about heaven, about life, about how God works everything together for good, about his power of his Holy Spirit for our life today, about, man, all the wonderful truths of the Bible, they're true because God has an awesome track record. And you can look at, you know, Abraham. And God said, when it was just Abraham, you know, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a posterity. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you, you know, a, 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 a people that, you know, through you, the whole world will be blessed. And you look at that when God told Abraham that he was 75 years old, 25 years go by, he still doesn't have it. But boom, one day he has his son, the promised seed, right? And, and then you see how God brought his word to pass. And for us, it's important to establish that. That's what the book of Joshua really is. You see, the conquest of Canaan under Joshua's leadership was based on the Abrahamic covenant. The Lord made a contract or covenant with Abraham, promising to give a land, a posterity, and a spiritual blessing to the patriarch and his descendants. Warren Worsby said, the practical message of the book of Joshua is that God keeps his promises. You know, and we're going to see that. It's amazing how it happens. Joshua 21, verse 45. I love this verse. I know you guys are probably familiar with it, right? Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Isn't that cool, you guys? Not a word failed. It's awesome, man, when you think of that. You know, looking back and considering God's track record, it, it, it encourages us to know that God is faithful to keep his word and all his promises for the future. You guys, you know, if you're a Christian and if you're dedicated to God, and if you're in the word and, man, you just want to follow him, you've got to know this, that your future is wonderful. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but, man, the good things that God has ahead for us, are just amazing when you think about it. Looking forward, may we know a life of victorious Christian living, a life of living in the promised land, which essentially is a life of rest, which kind of brings us to another truth that Joshua is going to teach us. Not only are we going to see how God's promises are true, how God keeps his word, he always does, but we're going to see in the book of Joshua the whole message of rest in Jesus Christ. Rest. It's very important for us. And Jesus said in Matthew 11, uh, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Hebrews 4, verse 8 and 9, talks about Joshua and talks about how he was a shadow of rest, how it's a symbolic of Jesus and what he gives to us. Now, Joshua didn't give it to them because when you read the Psalms, it talks about a future rest. And what we see is that Joshua was a shadow of the substance and the substance is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the non-Christian comes to Christ for salvation and the Christian takes his yoke and learns from Christ for sanctification. And both those elements, the salvation and the sanctification, are intended to give us rest. 
You know, are you here today and maybe you find yourself anxious, worried, freaking out, (laughs) failing, you know, hitting the wall, depressed, defeated, you know, um, maybe you're here today and you just feel tired. You know, what I'm saying is that that's not the way it should be if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, God's going to give you enough time to do what he wants you to do. If you're a Christian, God's going to give you the power to do all the things he will direct you to do, the strength. If you're a Christian walking victoriously, God wants you to have a a rest and a peace that this world can never offer. You know, and tonight we're not going to be able to give you everything you need to know about that rest. It's summarized really in Jesus Christ. But as we go through the book of Joshua, God will give you the elements that are needed for that rest. Because, man, I know how it is, and especially for us as Americans, you know, we don't have that rest a lot of times. God wants to give you a peace. God wants to give you a victory. You know, you don't have to to work for this. It's all in Christ. We're going to see in the very first verse, it's when Moses died. You know, nothing personal against Moses, but he was representative of the law. And that's the individual who's working. They're trying to work it out themselves. But then Joshua comes in. He's a new leader, right? And he's representative of the Lord. And the Lord will give you rest. The Lord will. You know, we're going to see over and over again, Moses is a servant of the Lord, servant of the Lord, servant of the Lord. It's a very wonderful thing. But Joshua is a representative of the Lord himself. And sometimes the servants of the Lord put burdens on us that we are not made to bear because we are no longer under the law. Be careful sometimes of those servants of the Lord that say, do this and do that and do this and do that. And before you know it, you're buried under all their burdens. Not the servant of the Lord as much as the Lord. The Lord will set you free. The Lord will give you peace. The Lord will show you you're forgiven. The Lord will give you rest. And if you don't have that, I want you to know that as a Christian, it's there for you to have. I pray that we would have this rest. And as we go through the book of Joshua, God would grant us that. Let's begin reading here in verse 1. It says, After the death of of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, As far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Here we see that after the death of Moses, God now speaks to Joshua. And as I said earlier, he calls him a servant. He calls Moses a servant uh, three times in verse 1, in verse 2, and again in verse 7. And you know, it's a great title of Moses. He was a faithful servant. But Moses was no longer with them. Moses had died. And so, you know, one might ask, well, then how could we possibly go forward? You know, how can we stand? And the answer is there in verse 5. We read it again. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And what we see in this, and we begin here, is the whole premise of the promise is the presence of the Lord. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You know, God has a land for you. God has a life for you. The key to attaining that land and possessing that land is an understanding, a belief, a true deep faith and understanding right now, right here, even though we're all messed up, that God is with us. That God is with us. You know, we know that was the key for Joshua. And that's the key for us as well. It was true for Joshua then and all the people of God. And it's true for us today and all the, you know, modern day people of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. I know you guys know this verse. When Jesus was giving the Great Commission, he said to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, that means check it out in the Greek. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Because a lot of times we're thinking, well, it's 2011. You know, I'm sure you know it kind of you know expired. And God said, no, it's it's even to the end of the age. You know, and so just as God was with Joshua and they're going to claim the land, you know, God is with us. Now, for us, we're not necessarily claiming literal real estate, you know, the land of this world. No, that was the unique promise to Abraham and his chosen descendants. That's not our claim. And to be honest with you, I don't really care about real estate or property or land on this side of time. That's not what it's about. It shouldn't be. You know, our aim is actually bigger and better, grander, and greater. It's a spiritual land. It's a spiritual victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil, and all his demons. It's victory against all forms of opposition, against all realms of resistance to the truth of God and the plan of God for our life. Thereby, what that does is it brings us rest as we simply enter into all that God has for us. You see? This land, it's kind of interesting, you know, looking at this right here. It was being given to them and at the same time had already been given to them. We read that. Look again in verse 2. It says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them. Right? And so it says right there, kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this, right? Future tense, kind of, the children of Israel. 
But notice what it says in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. And so it was being given to them. They were going to experience it now. But it had already been given to them. You see, the life, the victory over the flesh, the world and the devil, the things that God wants you to do in your family, in the ministry, in society, it's all there. It's already been given to you. All we have to do is to enter into that, right? God simply says, I want you to arise and go. Get what I've already given to you. That's what God says, arise and go. Get up, step out. And conquer the world. Get up and step out and conquer the flesh. Get up and step out and conquer the devil and his demons. You know, you don't have to sin. You don't have to. You know, we can actually win. Why? Because we're fighting not for victory, but we're fighting from victory. You see, that's the promise that we need to possess. God says the life and the love and the life that I have for you is absolutely awesome. It's bigger. It's better than what a lot of us are experiencing now. There's more for us, right? You know, we know for the Jews it would be, and he gives the the details here from the Mediterranean Sea all the way over to the river Euphrates. Uh, And when you do the measurements, I've shared with you guys this before on the map, God had given the descendants of Abraham... Um, 300,000 square miles of land. Okay, that's what God had promised to them. But, unfortunately, the children of Israel have never possessed this promise. As a matter of fact, at their greatest peak, they only acquired 10% of what God wanted to give them in the here and now. They only amassed 30,000 miles, square miles at their maximum point, and today it's even worse, modern-day Israel is only 8,000 square miles. They're supposed to have 300,000 square miles. And so you look at that and you're like, man, what happened? Well, they didn't take heed to the Word of God. You know, one day they will have the land there and then in the future millennial kingdom, but God wanted them to have it in the here and now. You see, and for us, a lot of you, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, one day I'll be perfect. One day I'll have victory, you know, when I die. And it's true, you will. One day you will have it there and then. But God also wants you to have it here and now. Not perfect, but proper. There's a place, there's a life that's bigger and better and greater and grander than we could ever imagine. And the book of Joshua gives us the keys in getting that. You know, it's kind of sad. You know, before I look down on Israel, though, I've got to look at my own life. Am I living in the land that God has given me, victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil? Am I rising up? Am I stepping out for victory in my family, the ministry, society, victory in me? Is there a real realization of the rest of God in my life? You know, do you have that peace, you guys? You know, and I know a lot of times we struggle. And for some of you here, I remember when I used to work at, 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 at Vons, my boss was, man, he was just awful to me, man. And he made my life miserable. You know, he made my life miserable. Does that sound right? No, I made my life miserable. I did. I don't care how mean your boss is. 
I don't care how mean your husband is or your wife is or what's going on in your life or your kids or whatever the financial situation is. It's not them and it's not that. It's a choice that we have to walk in the Spirit. And as we have that victory, you guys, over the world, the flesh, and the devil, as we walk you know, in the rest, the peace, the relationship that God gives us, then he's going to give you the strength to just, man, to just win over sin. You know, because a lot of times the devil knows, I know exactly how to get them. I know exactly what to do. This is all I have to do. They're so easy. Is that you? Is that me? That's not what God wants. You know, the book of Joshua is a book of new beginnings. And my prayer, I pray for you, for me, that we wouldn't just come to church service, you know, and go out and not experience a new beginning in our life. God has land for us, man, that you would just blow your mind. Things that you haven't even thought of yet, they're beyond your wildest imagination. But as we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will then give us the desires of our hearts. You know, I wanted to share with you guys from our text in chapter 1 today four things that we learn from the chapter, and I think that can help us. Again, this is not exhaustive. This is something that as we go through the whole book, we're going to learn, you know, we're going to learn. We're not supposed to make covenants with the, the Gibeonites. Not seeking the Lord will, you know, get us into big trouble. And we're going to learn that we're not supposed to, you know, steal from God like Achan did. Um, you know, Moses did a lot of miracles, but Joshua did some pretty big ones too, you know. Uh, the walls fell down in Jericho. One pretty big miracle is when the sun stood still. That's kind of cool, huh? A lot of amazing things we're going to see as we go through this book, you know. We're going to see they, first of all, conquer the land. After that, they divide the land in the last two chapters. Joshua gives them a covenant and a word of exhortation and closing. Beautiful, beautiful book that we have before us. His name, we know, is uh, in Hebrew, Jehovah is salvation, Yahweh is salvation, which in the Greek, it comes out to say Jesus, right? Same one. You see, in Christ, you guys, we have all these things. The first thing I want to share with you, though, as far as what we learn from chapter 1, is be aware of God's perpetual presence. Be aware of God's perpetual presence. See, God said that he would not leave Joshua. Again, look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? I mean, not only do you believe that, but do you walk in that? Are you cognizant of the fact, you know, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your day, that the Lord is with you? I pray that you would. We see the same thing over in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Why not? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Have you noticed that? And we saw that in the book of Deuteronomy as well, that that was the key. Moses said, I don't want to go if you don't go with us. I want your presence. And so we need to be more cognizant of the fact that God has promised, Hebrews 13.5, same thing. I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, very important for us. God said he would not leave. The word leave, it means to let 
drop. He won't drop you. You're like, God dropped me on my head. No, he didn't, man. He's never going to drop you. He's going to hold you. He's never going to abandon you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to leave you alone. He will not leave you nor forsake you. The word means to leave, to depart from, to leave behind or abandon or neglect. God is not going to do that. And so we need to start there, you guys, in learning from chapter 1 as God's about to take this man and use him to bless the people. Let it just be impressed deeply within our hearts that we have the perpetual presence of Almighty God in our life. That's what God promised. Secondly, what we need to do with that then is to be strong and of good courage. We see that over and over again. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance a land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. We see it again in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And then we saw it there in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? You're like, well, how can I live in that rest and that peace and that promised land? How can I have victory over sin? You know, the flesh, the world and the devil. Number one, the perpetual presence of God. He promised, he said, I'm always with you. Be cognizant of that. Number two, then from that, choose to be strong and of good courage. Um, the word strong in the Hebrew, it just means to be strong, but it also means to grow strong. I like that. To prevail, to be firm. You know, don't be a, a wimpy Christian. You know, one of the things that I've seen that messes me up, you guys want to know what it is? Pity parties. Pity parties. And I've learned a long time ago that pity parties are not productive, man. But you're like, you're like, Lord, but you know what? It's just not fair, you know, and I'm so right, you know, and you feel sorry for yourself, right? I don't know if you've ever been there, but I know I have. And God just says, you know what? Grow up, man. You know, take heart, be firm, be strong, grow strong. God wants to do that work in our life. He wants us to have courage. And the word there means to be alert it means to be brave. It even means to be bold. You know, I think a lot of times we as Christians, man, we just, I don't know, man, we just forgotten who we are. We, we lose sight of who our God is. And God just wants to encourage us, you know what, to make that choice. It's a strength and a courage attained by firm faith. And the belief that God really is with us. You know, Paul the Apostle said, when I acknowledge my weakness, that I'm strong. You know, apart from the Lord, we don't have a, a chance, huh? But in the Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, you know, as you're facing, and Joshua is going to be facing some incredible things. You know, he's going to be facing massive armies. He's going to be facing fortified cities. He's going to be facing giants in the land. There's going to be facing iron chariots. I don't know what you're facing, you know, but there is iron chariots. There's giants. There's fortified cities that you might think are impregnable. There's no way past this. But the way past it is believing. Believing in God. This man, this woman, this situation, whatever it is, it's nothing for God. And what we need to do is just take him at his word. 
We need to be aware of God's perpetual presence. We need to be strong and of good courage. And then thirdly, we'll see it in our text right here. We need to be biblical, obedient. Um, here's a real practical thing. Look at this says again in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. What we see here, and this is very practical, you know, that God commands reading and meditation in his word. He commands this contemplation with the inclination, forgive me for this, to obey the revelation. <laughs> you know, you've got to read the word and you just got to be saturating yourself in the scriptures, but not just for information, you know. Um, there has to be that desire, Lord, I want to know your word. And whatever your word tells me to do, I want to go out and I want to live it. And that's what he's saying, man. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate it in the day and night. Why? That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And so here you are today and, you know, you're wondering, well, how can I in a practical way, you know, experience that victory, that rest, you know, that that promise of the promised land in my life, Manny, you know? And, and the Lord says, well, you've got to be cognizant of my perpetual presence. I promise I'm with you always. Even when you mess up, I'm still with you. That doesn't mean God looks on you favorably you know, on your sin, but you're still his son. You're still his daughter as a Christian. And that understanding that he's still with you, it kind of lifts you up. You've got to know that he's with you. He's with us. And then we go after that and we realize, well, okay, in that case, I'm going to choose to be strong. I'm going to choose to grow strong. Every day, Lord, make me stronger. Give me courage to face these giants and these iron chariots that I have in my life, whatever they may be. And then God says, and, and then what you need to do is you just need to get into this word right here. And you need to meditate in it. It's kind of interesting. He says, the book of the law shall not uh, depart from your mouth. And you're like, what's that all about, you know? Um, you would think he would say, depart from your eyes. But he says, depart from your mouth. And more than likely, it's not eating the word, although that might be it. Um, it's just meditating on the word. Because as you're reading the word and you're meditating on the word, that's what he says right there, you're talking to yourself. Any of you here ever talk to yourself? And you answer yourself? <laughs> it's actually okay to do when you're talking about the word of God, you know? Unfortunately, the Eastern religions have, you know, they think they have a corner on meditation. But what the Eastern religions do is they tell you to empty your mind, you know, and they did all the mantras and stuff, right? Empty your mind. But what the biblical revelation tells us to do is to fill your mind. Fill your mind with the Word of God. And as you're reading the Word and as you're just, you know, you're spending time with the Lord day and night, 
then a certain verse might pop out at you and you write it down or you put it on your phone or whatever it is. And then you're, you know, you're reading it, you're reading it, you're meditating on it, you're saying it out loud. It's like a cow chewing his cud. It comes down, it comes back up. And before you know it, you digest it. It becomes a part of who you are. And that's why it's so important to really make sure that you're in the Word of God. And we've seen this so many times, right? In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. There's an individual, think about it, walking in the counsel of the ungodly. What are you going to do? Well, you go to the you know, television or you go to your friends who don't know the Lord. You go to books and resources and information that are not biblical. He says, no, no. Blessed is the man who walks not in those things. But it says right there, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, notice he meditates day and night. Is that too much to ask from you? Listen to me for a second. Listen, if you're not willing to get into the word, if you're not willing to to take your Bible study seriously and write down a couple of scriptures that you can read and ponder on later, then it's no wonder why you're suffering the way that you are out of the will of God. Get in the word if you're serious about wanting God to do a work in your life. You've got to open up the book. It's kind of symbolic of you opening up your heart. And you're writing down a few verses. Is that too much to ask? I think not. But see, if we're not willing to invest that time, then how can we expect to have victory in life over the giants and the iron chariots and the things that are way stronger than us in our own strength? You see, we need to meditate on the word. Uh, We need to love the word. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And so you're reading that and you're thinking, oh, that's just for them, you know. That's not for me. No, it's for you. It's for me. I encourage you to get into the Word, you guys. To meditate on it day and night. To be listening to Bible studies. To be searching out the Scriptures. To really ask God to speak to you. He's faithful. And and He will do that. You see, we need to be aware of God's perpetual presence. We need to be strong, to grow strong, and to be brave and of good courage. We need to be biblical and obedient to God's word, seeking him and his word. And then the last thing we see today is we need to be united, you guys. We're going to see that in verses 10 through 18. You know, we need each other. And the way that I'm going to kind of approach this you know, whole section right here is for us to look at this kind of together. Because, you know, I want victory for you. Hopefully you want victory for me. I want victory for the person next to you and all of us together. We can actually do this. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, we're not there yet. We're going to see that in chapter 3. But um, what we're going to see is that the crossing over the Jordan is symbolic of entering into the promised land, victorious Christian living. Um, crossing over the Red Sea is symbolic of salvation. 
Now they wandered in the wilderness enough, and now it's time for victory. That's what the crossing of the Jordan is. It's not going to heaven. It's victorious Christian living. Some people compare the book of Joshua to the book of Ephesians as well as the book of Hebrews. Entering into that rest, spiritual victory, right? And so he says, okay, tell them to get ready because in three days we're going to cross over. And then he says, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest. As he gave you And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. And so they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses and all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Um, You probably remember, um, we see here that there was a couple of tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that had settled on on the east side of the Jordan, right over here. And so they already had their inheritance. But the deal that they made with Moses, they said, but we will go in and we will fight with you. We will fight for you until everybody receives their land. And then after everybody's got their land, generally speaking, their inheritance, then we'll come back. And that's what Joshua reminds them of. Hey, you guys made a commitment to do what? To help your brethren. And what we see is if we really want that victory, we want to be a, a healthy church, then, then we need to kind of work together in this, you know. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, we need to bear one another's burdens. Uh, you need help, I need help. Um, we're carrying loads that, you know, we can't carry on our own. As a church, we need each other. There's some people who don't go to church service. They don't have a congregation. They don't have the brothers and sisters. And they think they're okay, and they're not. You know, we need to be plugged in, you guys. There needs to be spiritual unity. We see that today. And we also see there needs to be spiritual structure. See, we need to be united with each other and with our leaders. This happens horizontally as well as vertically. Notice we see right here, they say, hey, together, we're going to fight. We're going to help you. We see that in verse 14. Help them. And so there's going to be this battle going on, you guys, as each of us here does our part in this battle. But then in the end right there, you know, they, they answered Joshua and they said, hey, all that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses and all things, so we will heed you. And so there's that, there's that, you know, horizontal healthiness across the board. There's also that vertical spiritual structure that's necessary for us to have this victorious Christian living. 
We have people that are our overseers, right? Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You know, and there's that spiritual structure. You know, you have your pastors, your elders, your overseers, those individuals, you know, that you need to pray for. As a matter of fact, they even prayed for Joshua. Look what it says in verse 17. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. They were praying for him. They were saying, only the Lord your God be with you. It's beautiful when you look at that. You know, does that mean that you have to do everything your pastor tells you to do? If he tells you, hey, you got to wear red socks and you got to wear red socks to church and stuff like that. No, within the spiritual parameters of ministry. You know, but as long as he's not telling you to sin, as long as it's not getting weird and crossing, you know, certain boundaries, there needs to be that spiritual structure that we need to hold on to and to do so, man, in a, in a way that would please God. It's kind of cool. We see here they prayed for Joshua, and in verse 18, they reminded Joshua what God had told him. I love what it says right here. It says, only be strong and of good courage. Let me tell you something. Not, you know, I'm not saying this for me. You guys don't have to say anything to me, man, but you have your overseers and you have your spiritual leaders. Encourage them once in a while with words of encouragement. You know, They need that. They really do, man, because they're, they're a target. And the enemy comes, uh, he comes at all of us, but the Bible does say, smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. And so he becomes a target. And so every once in a while, you know, pray for them. Every once in a while, man, speak a word of encouragement. Now here we see it's so cool. They just reminded him, man, just stay on track, Joshua. It's so important for you to have that. You know, all these things we see in looking at our chapter today, would be necessary for the leader, for the leaders, and for all who are being led. Let me close with this comment by Warren Wiersbe. He said, The greatest need in the church today is for God's people to see how much they are missing by wandering in unbelief or by living on the borderline of blessing. What God's people need to do is to claim God's promises and to enter into their spiritual inheritance. And that's my prayer, you guys, that today, as we partake of communion together, as we look at the cross, the great cross of Calvary, where God gave us that victory, that you and I would know who we are in Christ. We're going to look at Joshua, and we're going to see they were conquerors, right? They were conquerors. But you know what the Bible says about us? You know what it says, huh? We are more than conquerors, man. There's more to it. There's more for our life, you guys. And my prayer is that none of us here, one of the verses, because I, I, I recently just read through the book of Joshua, it says, man, how long will you neglect to enter into this land that God has for you, man? I know it can be tough. and We can make excuses. But there's no excuse, right? I think it was Billy Sunday who said, an excuse is just a reason stuffed with a lie. That's all that is, right? <laughs> There's no excuses, you guys. You don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to be anxious. In Jesus Christ, we have victory. Joshua, Yeshua, he's our Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, 
We just come before you this day, and as we partake of communion together, Lord, uh, Father, uh, we know you're so holy, and we need the blood. We need the blood of your Son, Lord, to wash us. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to convict us and to speak to us, and Lord, to show us the cross, to show us our life, to show us things that need to change or need to surrender, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would today, uh, Lord, just have that heart, Lord, to be victorious Christians in this land that we're living in, Father. And whatever we're going through tonight, I just want to lay everything down at your, at your cross, Lord. And pray even in my own life, Father God, in my own life, there would be no excuses, Lord. There would be no longer any excuses, Lord. You give us the victory in your Son. And so, Lord, help us. We need you. We cry out for you, Lord, tonight. We need you, Lord. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you so much, Lord. So many of us here today are struggling, hurting, even dying, Lord. We need you, God. We need you tonight to touch our life and to open our eyes, Lord, to open our heart. Help us to believe in you, Lord. Help us to believe in you, Lord. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name.